Good morning, church. Good to see everyone. Really excited that you are all here. We've been going through a series uh, called Highs and Lows, and it's a very important conversation uh, that if you have missed it, we have a podcast um, on our website, and we have a website. You can go and look up all the sermons and all these conversations. Uh, for you to be able to catch up. But we're going to be in the book of Joshua. And I'm going to talk about one of the most important things uh, that I think is is a big blessing. In here, we're going to see how Joshua receives encouragement from God and how he translates that to the entire team he had. He gets a command. He gets encouragement. He gets inspiration, and he doesn't just make that about him. He takes that to the rest of the team. He takes that to the rest of the group. He takes that to the rest of the tribe. And as we are going on with this conversation, I want us to start noticing that when God is inviting us to something, it's not simply about us. Uh, It's God saying, how will people know that you are my disciples is the way you love one another. So it's not only about you being loved by God. It's about how you are loving other people. That it doesn't end at, oh, I've experienced this. God has forgiven me my sins. God invites you to forgive other people. That God doesn't want you to just stop at the moment where it's comfortable. Because if that was the biggest deal, then when you said yes to Jesus, you'd be raptured to heaven. Because then you'd be of no use on earth. But the fact that you keep staying here, doing life here, it means that your every day, my every day, our every moment is important in the places God has planted us in. Another important thing is for us to recognize that when we see the invitations that God gave us, they're not only about experiences, they're about people. They're about people. They're about people. Your life is about people. Your life is about people. It's about doing relationships. And we always say relationships are complicated, right? So your life is about doing life with other complicated humans. And sometimes when we receive that, when we hear that, it can sound overwhelming or it can be an easy thing that we enjoy. Or for some of us, we're people people. You know what I mean? Like we just love humans. For some of us, the moment we are done with church, like there were so many people, I just want to go home and do something alone. Regardless where you are and who you are and how you are built, introverted, extroverted, if you follow the Enneagram and other things, you have all these languages. No matter what you're following and what you're doing, life is about doing life with people. But for us that belong to God, it's about knowing God and doing life with people. It's about receiving from God and doing life with people. It's about obeying God and loving other people. It's about trusting God and then continuing life with other people. It's not simply about what, it, what we make it to be. Because what we make life to be nowadays is life is about you. So be you. Do you. Like just you and family, you and your clique, you and your loved one, you, you, you. And God calls us beyond that. 
They say that you're the salt of the earth. And you just don't put salt on the table. Salt mixes with stuff. Because salt has the ability not only to add flavor, but to preserve. When God looks at you when and he's calling you, and he's inviting you to something, he doesn't want you to be a spectator. His goal is for you to be a participator. And sometimes we love to settle for we know what God wants. And we're going to be think people that just say, this is what God wants. But we don't engage. And that's the word I want to sit on a little bit more today. That God's invitation for your life is to engage with other people's lives. Because in engaging with other people, other people get to see the love and the kindness of God. They get to see the forgiveness and the grace of God. They get to see the mission and the kindness of God. They get to be rebuked. They get to be encouraged. They get to be at a place where they see God for who he is. So Joshua was invited by God to step up and to do something. And, and his mission was not a simple mission. So the scripture starts with, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan. Go this over this huddle. Go. You and all these people into the land that I'm giving to them. To the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot would, would tread upon, I have given to you. What, what an incredible promise. Just as I promised to Moses from the wilderness and this Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the Blantites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. And, and he says something that is incredible. No man shall be able to stand before you the days of your life. I don't know if I heard that, if just I would just be puffed up and stop, stop being humble. No man shall be able to stand before you the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Therefore, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I sold to their forefathers. And God is basically saying, the promise I want you to take them to the other side is something I promised to their forefathers. It's not even a thing uh, that uh, you are coming up with. It's something I promised to their forefathers. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Then he says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So in his passage, you see the task for Joshua was clear. The task for Joshua was clear. I want you to go over and possess the land. 
And sometimes we can see it in this generation that is so purpose-driven. Amen. It's a super purpose-driven, passion-driven. I'm not passionate about that. We can sit in places where we're like, God, what is my task? Why am I here for? And, and I want you to notice that by the end of the day, we all have a task. And it's called the Great Commission. Amen? The task you exist for is the Great Commission. It's to preach the gospel to the very end of the age. The how for you will be different. And we've talked about that. That the how for you will be different. My how is this. And other things. Your how is a little bit different. So as we are talking about the task, I want you at the back of your head. That by the end of the day is about to let your kingdom come. And your part of making that happen. And that happening every other day is people experiencing the good news. And we say news is reported. It's something that happened. All you're doing is reported. And the news is we were dead. Christ makes us alive. We were in sin. Jesus has made us whole. We were broken. And he is making us a little bit more like himself. That's the good news. How you do that is different. Some of you do that on your desk. Some of you, you do that in the streets. Some of you, you do that in different places. But how you do that is different. So you have a task. Now I want you to see Joshua received a task. And then he had next steps. And I want you to start processing how you can take that task that God has given you as a great commission and put it in your everyday life. So we're going to read from verse 10. And you see the few things that this man gets to do. You see a few things that this man gets to do. So I'm just going to read it. So don't worry about it being on the screen or not. So if you have your Bibles. You have your Bibles? If you don't have your Bibles, amen. Actually, side note. We have a bunch of Bibles in this church. So when you walk in and you've forgotten your Bible, always know we have some Bibles at the back. We have Bibles behind. So you can just go grab a Bible. Amen? If you need to find a Bible. Verse 10. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. And to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, 
The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, I just love that the Bible used your little ones. And your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Help. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it. The land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered, Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your command and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Oh, man. I'm like, why is that even there? Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Jesus, help us to be strong and courageous in the invitations that you are giving us. Amen. Now, I'm going to speak a little bit to a lot of us more as the leaders God has raised us to be. Because a lot of you sitting in here are leading in one way or another. But by the end of the day, I just don't want you to look at this as a leadership thing. I want you to look at this as God has invited me to do something. How am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? Because we are people that God has a plan for. And sometimes that doesn't hit us right. Because we feel like God's plan interrupts our plans. Hello? So we feel like we need to negotiate with God how life plans should work. So for me, it's basically like, God, can I preach and meet people during the week and do my other stuff that I'm really, really feeling and enjoying? Because that poses the question of, so do you mean that the things God has given you to do, you don't enjoy them? Because sometimes everything we receive from God, because of what we have heard, we take it as a burden. So the language we mostly use is, man, I have this burden from the Lord. Hello. And stay with me. Stay with me. Because it's going to sound a little bit weird. And you guys are used to it by now. But just stay with me. I think the language we use is, we use when we are serving God. Uh, I'm grateful that sometimes it sounds as if we know it's not going to be an easy job. But if we really look at life, 
living is not an easy thing. That even if you did not live in, in the awareness that God has invited you to do stuff, life will still be tough. But somehow when it comes to the things God has invited us, we make it weird. And, and we use a bunch of language that can just make it as, as if it's a burden or something that uh, I'm stuck. But I'm going to use a phrase that a lot of you have heard before. If a king invited you and gave you a mission. If a president of a country invited you and gave you a mission. If the CEO of your company invited you and gave you a mission, would you call that a sacrifice or an honor? Like when you look at God of the universe inviting you to do things, is that simply a sacrifice or you have been honored by an incredible God to be part of what he's doing on earth? Let's break it down. God calling you to feed those street kids, is that a sacrifice or you have been honored by God? So that on the last day when he says, I was hungry and you did not feed me, to you it will be I was in the streets feeding you. I was naked but you did not give me clothes. It will be like, yes, Lord. I did everything I could with whatever I had to give you clothes. You'd even throw a gems in there that when I saw someone who didn't have a shirt and I had two. I gave them one that I had and they remained with one. What am I saying? What am I saying? It's, I think we have to start shifting when God gives us a task. To stop seeing that task as simply a sacrifice. And I'm going to explain that in a little bit. And start looking at it as we've been honored by a God of the universe who is able to do it exceedingly abundantly above what we think or can imagine. That how we do life, where we do life, and how we navigate through everything is we know we have a God who is inviting us to be courageous and strong because we are fully relying on him and he is the one that does all the things through us. What an honoring thing. What an honor it is to be part of what God is doing. Now, the biggest thing we're going to talk about this morning is preparation. Because whatever task you have, if you fail to prepare, this is a cliche line, you've heard it before, you're preparing to what? To fail. You're preparing to fail. And this man had an actual task. That I, This is your mission. This is what you're going to do. And the first thing he says in verse uh, 10 and 11, it says, Joshua commanded the officials of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people to prepare your provisions. To prepare. And a lot of the things that we do, 
that end up feeling like they're sacrifices, sometimes it's because we failed to prepare. Sometimes. But sometimes the things we've called in our lives as sacrifices are the good things that we had turned into idols, that when God called us to give up those things, our brains were like, but this is tough. Because it had already become an idol, it had become the ultimate thing. When God, when Jesus is the one who's supposed to be the ultimate thing. So when you are going through here, you see that the first thing he says in verse 10 is like, Pat, the word. Go through the land. Cast the vision. That this is what God has called us to do. And, and one of the things I found in leadership, and, and I've had opportunities to be in different places where I've led different movements, is when you don't communicate the vision with conviction, it's hard for people to join in. It's hard for people to be part of that. It's hard for people to give their resources. It's, part, it's so hard for people to participate. To the point that we decided way back as a church that we're going to repeat the vision every day, every morning, every Sunday. Up until we drill that in our heads that God, Jesus, is our only hope. And we're going to do whatever it takes to awaken this city to that hope. Why is that important? Because we believe hope is everything. And people that are hopeless they cannot look forward to leaving. They cannot look forward to standing against things that are harming them. They cannot. They are powerless in a lot of sense. But the moment we infuse hope in our lives, it completely changes how we see the world. And some of you sitting in here, you are having a mission, a task that God has given you, and you're like, how am I going to do this? Is prepare the people to fully understand where God is inviting you to. You have a company, you have an organization, you have a business, you have all these other things. It's less about the things you are selling, more about the why. And the reason why we cast vision, the reason why we invite other people to our stories, to what God is doing, is so that people buy into the why before they start considering the what and the how. And it's important for us. It's important for you. That if you have a task to help people, what are you going to do? You prepare. You calculate. You understand. You continuously get a clear vision in your head. Because when you don't have a vision, you don't have an actual goal you are hitting. And every time you don't have a goal, you hit it every time. Because there's no goal, right? It's empty. You hit it every time because it's goalless. It's like, hey, maybe I've scored. Maybe that's how I should. No, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And, 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 and when it comes to living for God, when it comes to you saying, God, you've called me to be in this community. God, you've called me to be part of your church. When you don't have a clear vision of what that is, what that entails to be part of the body of Christ, you end up being the toxic part of that body. You end up not caring for your brothers and sisters. You end up making life and church about how you feel and how church should serve you 
you become a consumer instead of being a participant and someone that brings joy to other people. Why? Because you, you know you've been saved and you've been changed by God, but it's simply about you and you don't have a clear vision of what that even looks like. So you see, Joshua commanded the officers of the people pass through the midst of the camp and command the people to prepare your provisions. Within three days, you are to pass over this Jordan to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God has given you to possess. In serving over the last decade plus, so that's not a long time, but I've had a lot of stories of people that would jump into something without preparing. They would start something, they would start a ministry, they would start a project, they would start without preparing. Not only talking about finances, but even mentally. That I'm about to embark on a journey that can be hard, that can be complicated, that might require a lot from me. So when you are in that journey and the waves start hitting you, the potholes start breaking your car, you can be disappointed. You can be discouraged to the point that the people I have sat down with that have walked away from ministry, they did not walk away from ministry because of God. They walked away from ministry because they felt like God was not with them. Not because God was not with them. But when they started, they didn't prepare, they didn't process and they didn't think through about the cost of what they were about to start. So by the end of the day, everything was overwhelming. Remember what I said at the beginning? Life can be overwhelming. Life will be overwhelming. So if you move to a new country without preparing, if you move to a new city without preparing, if you start school without preparing, if you start a business without preparing, if you start a relationship without preparing, hello? If you start a relationship without preparing, it gets toxic, easy, and fast. Because life requires you to make decisions every day. Every day you're in a relationship, every day you're working on a project, every day you are getting up out of that bed, it's decision time. And when you're not prepared to align your decisions with the mission God has given you, you continuously bend towards the things that are either easy or the things that simply feel safe. When sometimes you need to spend a night reading so you pass that exam. But when you're not prepared, you don't figure out how to stay awake, how to be on top of your time, how to calculate what to do, how to do, so that you get enough time to do what you need to do. It's important for us to understand that when we are talking about preparing, 
we have to start thinking in two different ways. There are things you can pull an all-nighter all on and there are things you cannot pull an all-nighter on. An assignment, a project, you can pull an all-nighter on sometimes. But a relationship with your kids, you cannot pull an all-nighter on. That's something you prepare to invest time over time. Trust. You can pull an all-nighter on trust. It's earned. Hello? But also, it's given. Because there are things that people see that they are encouraged to say, you know what? I think I want to trust you. And sometimes when we don't prepare, we tend to think that when that time comes for me to do something, I'm going to pull an all-nighter. And when it doesn't work, we say, why have you abandoned me? <laughs> Who do we blame? God. As I said, the people I've sat down with that have walked away from ministry, that's how they thought. God abandoned me. God was not with me. But when I start asking questions about, okay, so how did we get here? What happened? A lot of the conversations are around, yeah, I felt God wanted me to do this, and I just jumped with everything. Like, what do you mean with everything? Like, did you leave well from your last place? No, man, I just, I just felt like it was so urgent, I just jumped in. Like, so, so you didn't even have conversations with elders and leaders and people that loved you and people that trusted Jesus? You just jumped? Yeah, man, it just felt right. How does it feel now? Let's, as people in the church, God is calling us to so many things. Some of you are changing the world right now. And sometimes you don't say it because you're in today. But if you can l see in 20 years, you'd be amazed how God has used you. And some of us, we're even underestimating the small conversations with kids we're having. The small investments we are having with that young girl, with that young dude. We are underestimating because it just feels like, I don't know what I'm doing. But if you had the God's eye view for the future, that conversation you're having, you just had last week, might have been the conversation that bro needed to make certain decisions that will completely change how his life, relationships, therefore marriages, therefore raising kids, therefore, therefore, will look like in 20 years. And in 20 years, that one conversation you were so tired of might be the one conversation that literally saved an entire clan. Are you following? That's, uh, that sometimes we can sit and underestimate the work we are doing. So have that in mind, that there are things that you need to invest more time. Things that you need to invest more resources. So what are the things in your life that you're needing to invest more resources right now? What are those things? What are the things right now that you need to pour out more resources? God has called you, let's take, I pick doctors all the time. And I read a story of a lady in Uganda that felt called by God to save kids that were suffering from malnutrition. Zero training. She's going through a case right now 
because a bunch, close to a hundred kids died in her care. And I'm like, what? Yeah, I heard from God. So I went to do it. Dude, you, th- you, you didn't think you needed school? Because school prepares you to be a good nutritionist? D- you didn't think about that? Because sometimes when we hear God call us to something, we can want to ignore the learning and want to simply jump into the things that are comfortable. So what are the things that you know you are tasked to do that requires learning? I just want to preach the gospel a little bit more. Great, I love that. Read your Bible. Are you reading your Bible? Are you reading books about how to preach better? Are you learning and listening from other people? What do you need to learn so you become what God wants you to be? Oh, man, I just, just want to be an amazing music producer. I just want to be a videographer. I just want to be an architect. You know the things that you can easily lean towards because you are gifted to learn certain things fast? But because you are gifted to learn certain things fast, it doesn't mean you shouldn't learn at all. Because you are gifted to do certain things quicker than other people, it doesn't mean you don't invest in learning and understanding. What are the gaps in my life that I need to invest in? Oh, man, I want to be financially free. Learn budgeting. Let's start there. Learn to tell your money what to do. Because it will tell you what to do if you don't tell it what to do. Learn the small, easy things. Yeah, I want to I wanna invest in this country. Okay, what do you know about investing? What kind of investing do you want to do? What things do you need to learn to be what God has tasked you to do? What are those things? Oh, I just want to start. I, wanna st- <laughs> I want to create a startup organization. Uh, yeah, have you learned uh, anything about entrepreneurship? It's like, no, I just feel it. You just feel what? It. What's the it? Because a lot of us are sitting on incredible businesses. Let me not even call them businesses. A lot of you are sitting on an incredible solutions to problems in this country and in this city. And those solutions can not only serve the city, but they can add zeros to your bank account. Hello? Now, that is safe to say in church. Come on, people. You can have a business that's profitable, so you give all that money to church. Come on. That's always the plan. That's always the plan. What am I saying? Is do, do you need to learn... To stop complaining about the toughness of things in this country so that you as a Malawian can find solutions for your people? Do you need to learn that? Do you need to stop that? Because I see so many young people with so much energy that is wasted complaining. That's all. That's all we're good at. And we have all these Facebook, Twitter fights that just end there. We don't go anywhere farther than that. We just 
stop at complaining. We stop at understanding the problem and we can really break it down. And I know you've heard stories like a dude went into a city and so that uh, most of the people in that seat, part of the city didn't have shoes. One of the friends was like, man, these people are poor. One of the friends was like, man, I can sell plastic shoes here. Same problem. I know the story of a lady in Zomba that graduated from Champo, went to her village in Jari on a market day. Saw a lot of people carrying stuff and having a hard time to carry things. And she was like, you know what? Let me not find a job. Let me find some money, buy solid plastic bags, and sell in this village. That's what has built her life. Like sometimes when we are not learning, we're not listening. And sometimes what changes the spaces we are in is listening a little bit more. So where do you need to start listening? Where do you need to start observing? What conversations do you need to shut your mouth so that you can learn something new? Because every time you open your mouth, you're saying stuff you already know. Where do you need to start listening? Where do you need to start hearing the actual hurts in people's lives? Where do you need to start doing that? Where? Because no, no one can do that for you. You know, I grew up in the seatbelt generation. And what that means is my parents grew up in a generation where the seatbelt was grandmom in a car. Like, just don't fall. And I felt like when we started growing up in this country, it was a cool thing for us to be protected from schools, from things. And I'm grateful because our parents were a little bit more involved in our education and in all these other things. But our generation now has kids and all these other things. And when you talk to teachers, they're way more afraid of the parents than the joy of teaching. Because if that kid fails, who's in trouble? The teacher. Why have you given my son this grade? Like maybe shouldn't we have a conversation about how can we navigate through this? And how can we help your son or your daughter to get better grades? And I'm not saying as a parent you shouldn't do that. You should ask those tough questions because we have a lot of horrible schools here. And that's, that's just reality. We, like, we agreed 10 years ago here that yeah, our schools kind of sucks. And we have to be more intentional as parents and as teachers. That's why we started all these parent-teachers associations and a lot of other, all those other things because education was continuously going down. But my point is we can easily wait because parents, uncles, cousins intervene on our behalf. In places where we need to learn, we can easily come with that same attitude, that someone that needs learning this will show up. 
when you are the one who's supposed to be learning that one thing. We might transfer our responsibility to someone else when we are the ones that God wants to learn. So he said, pass the word. Sell the, the vision. Verse 10 and 11. Tell the people to prepare to plan their supplies. What supplies do you need to have on this journey as you are serving God? As you love hosting people, what supplies do you have that will empower you to do that? Or what do you need to have? As a church that claims to let people come as they are, how are we prepared? What are we learning? How are we learning? And what is God truly, fully inviting us to? They say, pass the word. Be convinced. You know, when I think about convincing people, one of the fun things for me is thinking about Robert Mugabe. That was one of the most confusing African leaders of all time. You can even see it online. If you're not online, they're basically debates. There's one side of Africans saying he was a brutal murderer dictator. And to other Africans, he's their hero. When you are convicted, no, no, no. When you are convinced and you are living in conviction, the power of that can even carry on in misleading people. People are willing to follow someone who's, who has conviction. People are willing to do that. If that person has conviction, it looks like they believe what they are saying, I think I'm going to follow them. I think I'm going to go hard. I think I'm going to go with them. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up, remember how I said we have one task, to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. When we are not having a conviction of that gospel, even the people we want to present it to, don't believe us. Because when we don't have that conviction, it's like we don't believe what we have is full and true. It's just like a suggestion. Hey, in some senses, Jesus loves you. If you want to just check that on your calendar or something, Jesus loves you. But when you're convicted, when, when you're convinced and you have conviction, you can run with that gospel. You can run with that truth. And sometimes, to, <laughs> to the best of my ability, I feel like the reason why churches and the body of Christ were sitting where we are and wondering what is happening is because we don't have enough conviction on what the gospel is. And that we haven't fully embraced and experienced that. Now, because we don't have conviction, we cannot be pushed to invite other people to that. We cannot be pushed to lay down our gods to let people come as they are. So we still stamp a bunch of tools. We still stamp a bunch of rules for people to come. That if you're going to come to church, you're going to have to look like this. You have to be like this. You have to try this. You have to do all these other things. When the gospel is completely clear that we come to Jesus the way we truly are because Jesus meets us where we truly are. 
So when it comes to forgiveness, what's your are you convinced that you're forgiven? And are you convinced that other people need that forgiveness? When it comes to freedom in Christ, are you convinced of the freedom Jesus has given you? So that you would want freedom for other people? Are you convinced? Are you convinced that God is our solution to our pain? Or other things? Because if you're not convinced of that, you're not going to invite other people to God when they're in their pain. You're going to be that brother, that sister that shows, that shows up and use the wrong verse for someone who's going through a complete complication of their life. Just pick a verse and you stamp it on people. Pick a verse and stamp it on people. And people get hurt in the process. Are you convinced that God is good? Are you convinced? Now, the, the fun part for me is, is from verse 12. And, the, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and I give you this land. Place of rest. Is God a burden to you, or do you find your rest in God? To the point that you want other people that are restless to find their rest in God. Because if God is not your rest, chances are you're not going to invite people to that rest. Now, when you read this passage, these guys are just being told, go and fight with your brothers up until they find rest. No, no, no. Watch it. Your, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond uh, the Jordan. But all the men of Vela shall pass over um, before your brothers and shall help them. God has promised rest. And your brothers don't have rest. Go and help them up until they find the rest. Up until they fight their battles. Up until. Right there. Is our authenticity. That we want to be a church that fights with you for rest. We want to be involved. So you're not a burden to us. Hello? You're not a burden. Like when things. God, we want to show up. When you're crying, we want to show up and not give you a bunch of things, but just cry with you and trust God with you. When you're at a place where you're like, I want to believe, but help my unbelief, we want to be there and do life with you. Because God's invitation for us is not only to be a place where people find rest, but to understand that we can fabricate rest. Because only God is the one that truly and fully gives rest. So we want to be a church that's trusting in God for the rest of the troubles of this world. Hello. The rest from the pain of this world. So prepare your resources. Learn what you need to learn. Rest in Christ. Figure out what time it will require you to grow to do the thing that God wants you to do. For some of you, 
you've learned through our series that we plan them to be eight weeks because it sounds fine. We have eight week series. And when we start listening to God, we realize it's four months. Like, oh my God, this is as bad as planning as it can get. Why am I even bringing that up? It's because when we get stuck in not understanding how much time something might require us to do, we can easily lose the joy of doing that thing. Even when we were so passionate at the beginning. And I'll just say it. Doing anything in Malawi. <laughs> even that amazing work that's going to change people's lives. And it can be hard. Something now is supposed to take us one hour. I go back yesterday at 10 p.m. Since Tuesday. It can be hurtful. But the reason why I'm saying this. Is that's a country you are in. Amen. It's hard people that have been abused and misused for a long time. And the one chest they think they can get something. They want to go all the way in. And sometimes they don't see that they are doing that. Because in their brains they have convinced themselves. That that is the right thing. Because that's what they deserve. Because they deserved better than that, but other people abused and misused their generosity. You are in that place. Something that needs to take you five years might take you 15 years. Prepare for that. Because only, not only are you helping, but you are part of, an, of a conversation of <laughs> generations of pain and frustration and narratives of who as black people we are in this country. So you've stepped into that place. You are working in the streets where all these kids are being raped and they have other kids. And the kids are growing in the street. And no one really takes care of that. And you're trying to help that kid to get off the street when the granddad is still in the street, the dad is in the streets, the brothers are in the streets, and you're showing up saying, get out of this place. And you have six months to do that. Six months. When Malawi is a safe haven for drug lords, people that are trafficking other humans, when Malawi is the most safe place, and you step into that country, you step into that place and you demand justice and you're like, it's going to work? It's hard. Prepare, because it can get hard and rough. That is the country you are in. But also it's the most generous country. It's the most kind country. It's the most patient country. It can be the most loving. <laughs> and you can even get away with stuff that you cannot get away with from other places. It can be all that. But when you don't prepare your heart, when you don't prepare your mind, when you don't prepare your family, when you don't have a clear mission, when you are not sure of why you need to obey God, this can be the toughest place. But also, Blanta, in a lot of ways, can be the best place to raise a family. It can be the best place. That's why the prepare 
when you have been given a task is important. That's why you need to prepare in view of what God has invited you to. You need to prepare in the places where God is inviting you to go. You need to prepare your mind. You need to figure out these people are resilient people, but their resilience can make them weak in a sense of they can choose to not demand what they need because they're used to being walked over all the time. You need to choose to be different. You need to be the one who is part of the system that says we demand better because if you just sit back, no one will demand better. And a lot of us in here have a better voice than a lot of people that are not even in here. So prepare for your mission. Your organization is corrupt. There are a lot of toxic things. Women are treated unfairly. They're not even paid equally. There are all these other toxic things. And God has you in there. Speak up. Because that's part of your great commission. That's part of bringing God's kingdom in that workplace. That's part of the amazing grace God has given you to operate in that system. Oh, man, people are just abusive to each other. Girls are still being given to marriage at 13, at 12. Like, dude, really? We still have to be fighting that? But unfortunately, yes. And God has you with a task to walk into that kind of place. And this is how he says, be strong and what? Courageous. Because I am with you. The God of the universe is with you. Oh man, you, you walk around even just right now looking at outside there. We can, I can see Malawi's national flowers that blue plastic, thin plastic bag. <laughs> You're like, you can find that flower anywhere in this country, I guarantee you. But because of poverty and pain, something like picking trash does not hit us. You become the weird one that pushes this country to say, hey, why are we just cut, why is Nirande not having any trees? Do you remember 10, 15 years ago? Why is Niran the way it is? <coughs> Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous because God has given you a task. And sometimes we don't see our everyday as part of God's tasks. Why are we still in a country that should have lights right now, but don't? Like if we use our grace and our connections and the things God has allowed us to have, there's more that we can do in this country. There's more we can do in this city. There's more. But I want you to prepare because this journey can be tiring. When these men and women were being told to go over Jordan, some of them were going to lose their lives. On this journey, some of them were going to lose things that were important to us. And the reason why I want you to prepare is because you have no idea what life will throw at you. 
Because sometimes it will complicate your health. Hello? Sometimes it will complicate your money. <clears throat> sometimes it will complicate everything that you have. Sometimes it will just complicate the things that matter to you. So you hold on. You don't quit. And I'm going to finish with this. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded, that's verse 16, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses, so, so they're transferring their loyalty to Moses. They're saying, no, 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 if God has called you, we're going to follow you. And, and just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we'll obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with you. Moses, whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And why is this important? Why, why am I finishing with this? It's because when we are leading, for those of us that are leading, there's always <coughs> a moment to hear people's responses. And the easy thing when we are leaders is we don't want to consider what other people are feeling or are thinking. And, and, and as let me say this. As people that are in charge, we can be so inconsiderate of the personal lives of our staff and the people that work with us and work for us and do all these other things. And a lot of you, at some point, you're going to have people that are working with you or working for you or serving with you. However, give them spaces to respond to God's invitation. This is how I operate in my brain. God called me way before I met my wife. Amen? But it took me close to 12 years to say yes. Now, because I know what God has called me and I've met my wife, should I just say, hey, babe, follow this and not give her time to process, to think through, and to decide what she's going to do? That's very unkind. Now, as a husband, I'm ahead of my wife, right? That's what scripture says. But above all, Christ is the head of our family. And Christ has invited me to stuff. But Christ is not only working in my heart. Christ is working in my wife's heart. Now, in moments where God is calling us to things, the invitation is for us to learn and listen to what God is saying and give each other times and seasons to not only pray for each other and pray over the things, but give each other time to learn and respond. Because something that God has worked in my heart for 12 years, it would be unfair if I expect her to process it in 12, years, in 12 hours. That would be very unkind. Because God had to uproot a lot of things for me to even come and plant the church. Uproot way too many things and they still doing that work, fortunately. And sometimes we can do things that we just ignore how other people in the invitation that God has given us are feeling and wanting. No, give people a chance to process. Give people an opportunity to think through the implications of that decision. Give people a chance and a moment to fully express how and what they are truly feeling. 
Get people that chance. Give people an opportunity. What do you think we should do? How do you think we should do? This is my plan. What do you think of the plan? These are the implications of the plan. This is what I've thought. What do you think? Process with people. And, and the response of the people was amazing. Invite feedback. Invite feedback in your life. Because you have blind spots. I have a lot of blind spots. Our leadership will tell you. <laughs> That's why so many times I choose to stay quiet and speak where I need to speak. And I'm learning that. I'm not where I need to be yet. But when you don't invite feedback and you have blind spots, you have people that are not, they're doubting the journey. They're rebuttaling the journey. They are not where they need to be with you because it's a little bit more complicated. So invite feedback. Be aware of your blind spots. Listen and respond to God. But by the end of the day, you have a task. How are you responding to it? How are you responding today, right now, where you are sitting? How are you responding to God's invitation in your life? The invitation to make the gospel known. The invitation to love your neighbor. The invitation to how will they know we belong to God is by how you love one another. That invitation. How are we loving one another? How are you serving your community? How are you serving your neighbors? How are you listening and responding to the invitations God has for you? Proverbs 10, uh, 18 verse 10. This is what we're finishing with. And if you get, if you get the notes, there's something that I put at the end. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Why is this at the end? It's because I want you to be strong and courageous. Because the authority and power of God extends past human capacity and intellect. His authority extends past your fears. His power expands beyond your limits, talents, skills, and ability. His influence, might, authority, and stretch Stretch beyond your reach and outperform your best attempt. So choose to put your trust in God. Choose to place your hope in God. Choose to lay at his feet. Choose to trust that he is your mighty tower. He is your battle axe. Nothing can defeat him. He is your fortress. You are safe in him. Choose to meditate on his word. Choose to focus on his promises. Choose to place your hands in his. Choose to trust him. He is your emotional fortress. He is your physical fortress from danger. He is your financial fortress. He is your strong tower. Put your heart in his hand. Put your life in his hands. He is your true champion. Nothing can be compared to him. Nothing can defeat him. No one can outrank him. He remains undefeated for all eternity. 
So give him your temporary problem, hide in him. He is your strong tower and you are safe. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness. And we trust you because you are here, because you're working, and because you see us. And we just want to trust you with our tasks and look to you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.